is a presentation of the Match Talk Podcast Network. It's time for the ODU Wrestling Monarch Matcast, a show dedicated to all things related to the Old Dominion Wrestling Program. On the web at monarchmatcast.com. Now, here's your host, three time National Wrestling Writer and Broadcaster of the Year, and 2004 ODU alumnus, Jason Bryant. Another wrestling season here in Norfolk. As the Old Dominion Monarch Matcast rolls on with episode 67 today, we're talking with head wrestling coach Steve Martin as he enters his 16th year at the helm on Hampton Boulevard. Coach Martin won another season of Monarch Wrestling, but secondarily, 16 years, man. Where has the time gone? I don't know. I, I still feel like I'm in year one. Not really. It has been 16. This first couple of years are rough. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the first three. <laughs> I'm glad we're, I'm glad I'm this far along. <laughs> Interesting you bring that up because as you enter your 16th year, you're 10 wins away from tying Pete Robinson as the school's all-time leader in wrestling dual wins. You got 10 to go. He's at 172. You're at 162. You've reached it so far you know if, if things go well this season you'll reach it in 10 less seasons and over the course of your tenure 58 national qualifiers 10 all-americans over half of the school's division one all-americans have been on your watch what's really been the secret to kind of turning things around here in norfolk it's been it's taken a long time to get the program into national prominence you start the year ranked 25 but uh you know it's been a work in progress but it's also been a work in success I think a lot of things happen. I think funding and backing by the administration increased when Woodfield came over. That was like a big thing. I think us switching from the CAA to the MAC was another huge emphasis. Because without funding and not a good conference, you're pretty much you're behind in the recruiting, and the recruiting was much easier with great funding and a great conference. The funding in general and the whole athletic department, like our academic supporters. I used to, we used to have one person. Now we have like seven or eight people helping out. You know, you have, we have one person that's in charge of us, but back in the day, we had one person in charge of 16 sports. Now we got one person in charge of us, and she has like five helpers. So that helps us out academically, which just helps us out recruiting-wise. So, you know, the funding with the university in general and all the stuff that, I mean, the buildings that have gone up on campus, they've got three or four major construction projects. When kids come on campus, you know, they see real campus. And they like that. So that's made recruiting easier. So I think all those things kind of play in. In nine of the 16 years you've produced an All-American, you've had two All-Americans on one occasion in 2015, three returning national qualifiers, two returning All-Americans with Larry Early and Sedarian Perry on the squad this year. One of the two-time All-Americans that really helped put the program into the next echelon, going from an also-ran to, to being a team that contends to put guys on the podium is James Nicholson. He was a recent inductee into the Old Dominion Sports Hall of Fame. What did James Nicholson mean to this program and, and mean to the, the foundation of the new era of ODU wrestling? Well, James Nicholson was the first one to punch his ticket through and become an All-American. And so that was very important because it showed everybody else that he could that they could be an All-American. And um, he did it by, you know, he worked very hard and he refused had a refused to lose attitude. And that was kind of the secret to his success. And to be, to be honest with you, you know, I didn't even know who James Nicholson was his senior year. I mean, um, Willie Gatson called us up, who was Lee Prince's college coach at Eastern. 
you know, uh, Tyvin's dad and said, hey, you need to look at this Nicholson guy out of Iowa. We didn't know who he was. We had no clue. And uh, we brought him out four weeks later, and he was he was verbal four weeks later on the recruiting trip. If Willie hadn't made that call, we would have never known who he was. But uh, it was kind of, uh, you know, everything kind of came together at the right time. He ended up coming here, and he had to work for everything he got. Because I remember when he first came here, I mean, you know, his partner, you know, Kyle Hutter beat him pretty bad in a wrestle off. And, you know, by the, and I think that really fueled his fire and he just got better every day. Every day got better. And, you know, by the, by year two, he's an all American, which is an accomplishment, you know, after Richard, he got in that podium and then he got back on it again, his senior year, which was an accomplishment because really he would lost a controversial match in the round of 16, I think he's like a four seed or maybe a three seed. And uh, his backside wrestling, he had a tougher draw than he would have had in the front side. So he overcame a lot during his career, and we're very proud of him. And uh, he definitely uh, was a trailblazer. We move into this season. You recently had the inter-squad match, the blue-silver. Not every starter got got the nod there, but uh, what were were your impressions of the the matchups at the Jared Athletic Building uh, with the inter-squad last week? I mean, I guess it's like most inner squads around the country. You know, you want rust in your partner. So, you know, there can be strategy involved and, you know, kind of waiting for some things to happen. Um, you know, I thought they competed pretty hard. You know, they meant a little bit more than they had in the past because it's going to determine our starter for the first couple of events, you know. But um, anybody that was on the shorthand of the stick in that wrestle off, they have a chance to redeem themselves this weekend because, really, to be honest with you, the competition means a lot more than the wrestle off. I mean, I could beat my guy in a wrestle off, but if I go out in competition and I go zero and two, my partner, who I beat, ends up winning the tournament. That guy's better than you because he performed in competition. Those guys have another shot to prove themselves this weekend. But overall, I thought we looked good. You know, we got three returning qualifiers. You sit in, in the, um, you know, in a starting lineup, and I think we got some people that are going to surprise some people this year. People are really not maybe giving credit to. I know that some of these ranking services, they just kind of go with um, the favorites or what have you. But I think we got some people that could, are going to shock some shock some of the fans and, you know, the naysayers out there. School record is seven national qualifiers, which has happened on two occasions. When we were talking uh, over the summer, you had said that there's something different with this team. This team has some belief that you haven't seen in a long time. What is it about this 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 collection of guys that you know all ten starters return from the MAC championships last year? So it's essentially the same team, but why is it not the same team? Well, you got more depth, and I think that's uh, you know you got partners you know willing to push you like a twenty five. You got McGee, you got Cardinelli, you got Moulton as a junior national champ, and Moulton then went you know got beat by Cardinelli. I mean you know when the Russell that's just one example. Pretty much every weight you got depth. If you got depth, you got you if you got somebody breathing down your neck, it's you got to work. And I think pretty much at every weight we have depth that, you know, we could stick somebody in there and they can perform. So I think that's, uh, and depth causes competition in the room and competition in the room causes self-belief. So, um, you know, we got some guys that have been doing things right and they're ready to get out there and prove themselves and win some matches. It should be interesting to see how it, um, it, it unfolds, you know, because we have a pretty demanding schedule. We didn't make, we could have, dummied it down, but we're wrestling, you know, probably seven top 25 teams this year in dual meets alone, that along with our tournament schedule. So, you know, 
We're going to have to be ready every time we step out the map. When we look at this weekend's competition, the Battle at the Citadel, that's a new event down in Charleston, South Carolina. There's also the Princeton Open on the schedule. How is the uh, the team personnel going to be split this weekend, or is everybody going to go uh, heading down south to the Citadel? Originally, we were going to split and uh, send six people to Princeton, but we pulled, we backed out of that one. We're, we're basically, uh, we thought it was best interest in the team just to not separate the team, but have everybody go to the Citadel. So all of our attached guys are going to be there which is going to be some 20-plus guys, and then we're going to have another six uh, freshmen wrestling unattached. So, you know, our whole team is going to be there. So it's going to be a good weekend for evaluation of everybody on our squad. When we look at back to the, the qualifier situation, on paper, you know, there there were certain matches that were winnable at the MAC championships last year. Guys really came up and performed. Tim Young really had a had a breakthrough second half of the season after starting out winless in his first season in Division One. Then you've got guys that are ready to step in. They're their they're second year in the lineup. They're they're in that blood round. They've they've been to that podium. Is is you know it, it's hard to say right now. Here it is, you know October November. But do you think that that seven or, or more is is attainable for qualifying through a fifteen team MAC conference this year? Yeah, I think we can get quite a few out of the out of the conference tournament. You know, like I said, you know, every guy's going to have to earn it, and I think we got a schedule where we've set them up where they have the opportunity. Anytime you're wrestling seven top 25 teams, you're going to wrestle a lot of guys in the top 25 because that's where they're in the top 25. And then some of the teams that aren't or got great individuals. So, I mean, our guys are going to – because all you got to do is beat a couple guys to qualify. You know, beat a couple good guys and you're going to be ranked. And then you're going to have a good RPI and maybe not a winning percentage, but we'll have the RPI in the ranking. Uh, our guys are going to get tested, and I think that schedule was going to prepare them for the end of the year to be able to qualify out of the conference tournament and – and the coaches poll came out on October 29th. That's the dual meet rankings. So we talked with Daryl Thomas last episode about the schedule. The South Beast dual schedule has been actually filled out. It'll be number seven, Minnesota, number nine, Missouri, number 22, Wyoming, in addition to who's already on the schedule, number 10, NC State, number 16, Virginia Tech, number 23, Lock Haven, number 24, Virginia. So, and ODU sitting there at number 25. So uh, on paper, these, these are winnable matches up and down the lineup. I mean, it, this isn't like ODU's unranked and it is an underdog. Uh, in every single match here. These these are winnable duels, which are also good for exposure as well. Yeah, I think every duel in our schedule is winnable, even you know the ones against the top 10 teams, just because we match up very well. I think the, one of the most key element that we're going to have to take in, everybody's going to have to take in a, into account is that we're going to have to be healthy to be able to perform. We are really gearing up for that dual meet schedule second semester. So we're not killing ourselves in December like we normally do. You know, going to a to a Midlands or, you know, some other tournament where you come back and you have body parts, you know, dangling, you know. So I thought we'd maybe have like one tough team and maybe a couple of other ones, you know, that were mid-tier, but that did not happen. So, um, but that's fine. The main thing we're looking, you know, win, lose, or draw. We want our guys to compete 110%. We want to make sure that, uh, you know, like I said last year, half of our starting lineup was out second semester. So we tried to dummy down the schedule for a semester a little bit. Now, going down the lineup at 125 pounds, we saw Killian Cardinal at the at the wrestle-off, or the intra-squad, rather. Uh, Mikhail McGee returning there, multiple-time conference champ, multiple-time national qualifier, match away from placing last year. Uh, you had said that uh, guys like McGee, Perry, Early, with the with the grind that they have to get them on the podium and to get guys in that situation, uh, you know, not get chewed up and spit out, like you said, with the schedule. Uh, some athletes might be on, on, basically, for lack of a better term, a pitch count. Now, with the depth that year, you have that ability to do that. And, and at 25, 57, and 41, uh, what, what depth is sitting behind 
you know, those incumbent starters that'll enable you to do that and give everybody, you know, pretty much a balanced rest when it comes throughout the course of the second half of the season. Well, Killy Cardinelli is very good. I mean, we bumped him up to 33 last year. He did it for the team, but you know, he beat, you know, he beat the mint kid from Camo's a national qualifier. He's good. And he's much better this year after one more year, you know, kind of selling in. At 41, you got your, your, your Husky Aldiva, who's pretty good himself, a Juco place winner, but he's gotten much better than, than when he was in Juco over the last, you know, three, four months. We think he's a guy that's really going to be a contributor in the future. And then at 57, we have Cole Smith ready to step in, or we have a backup 49, which would need to be Kevin Budock or Keenan Carter. Who knows who's going to be the starter? So we got guys that we can bump up to be able to sit those guys. And they're not going to wrestle probably every event because there's no need to. What's interesting is you mentioned Keenan Carter and Kevin Budak. This is like their entire career has been one long wrestle-off with one another. What's it been like to kind of look at that and be like, man, these guys just keep going back and forth? They have been. I think Carter won one a couple of years ago. Budak won last year. Then Carter won again. So, I mean, I just I don't <laughs> know who the guy's going to be. I have no clue. I mean, is this one of the hardest wrestle-off spots you've had had to see in the last 15 years? I mean, it doesn't seem like one week it could be somebody else, and the next it's another. It's it's, it's wild even looking at it from my perspective. Like I said, it's who knows? <laughs> I mean, whoever takes advantage of the opportunities, especially like this weekend, you got two guys in the weight. You know, I would I would I would measure this weekend a little bit. I put more of an emphasis on it than a wrestle-off in the room because you have other guys in the bracket, and I mean they're going to be in brackets for this event. For Navy, we in brackets a couple times, same bracket, so should be interesting. Last year at 133 pounds, it was a revolving door. Is I think four or five guys saw time there in the lineup. What's 133 looking like this year? I mean, you got the same guys, but the pro, but the um, the other person that's entering the p- picture is uh, Shannon Ann, who's a true freshman. We're going to see how he performs uh, this weekend, but he's been looking pretty good. He's tough, and toughness I value a lot. So. I mean, that means, uh, you know, I think he's the type of kid that's going to be able to handle, as a true freshman, the ups and downs of college season. So I would not be surprised if he ends up being our guy. A couple other bodies there. Of course, Steve Simpson's been in the lineup a while. You said Cardinale was there. He's back down at 25. Trevon Majette stepped in in the lineup the later half of the year and wrestled the conference tournament. So, again, depth and, and, and anybody you put in that situation can win matches. Then you got Tyler Delaware, too. Yeah, I think anybody you put in there can win matches, and they can compete, and they have to because, you know, they're battling for a spot. You got three, four guys you're trying to bat off. You're going to train a little bit harder, and, you know, you're going to give a little bit more when you get a chance to get out there and prove yourself. 165 pounds, you got uh, one of the team captains, Shane Jones, a guy that has really kind of emerged as kind of the – the, the guy that you look at that that mean, that college athletics actually means something comes comes in unheralded has has become a team captain has become a starter at a Division one program we didn't have the the high credentials that you that a lot of his teammates have and you know what's what's it like to have Shane Jones as part of this program the last several years Shane Jones uh, is a uh, your all American boy and everybody loves him on an, on and off the mat you know he's a success story because he came in and. The way I found out about Shane is um, Paul Cavell called me up, and he was at assistant coach at Blair Blair Academy at the time. He called me up and told me, he goes, hey, uh, one of my buddy's sons is a senior in PA, and, you know, he didn't place in the state tournament, you know, but he's a state qualifier, and I'm like, okay. So we gave him a shot, and he came down, and the first thing I knew, the first day he got on campus, he worked out like three times. So he caught my eye right then. 
because he's always in the room working out. You know, so he's built himself. I wouldn't say that he's like a freak athlete, but he's everything that he's got and he's earned. And um, it's he works out so much that we make him take a day off now. We make him take an extra day off in the middle of the week. Like we make him, you have to take this day off because I think he fried his body out last year. But, you know, he's going to, and he's in, a, in his major is teaching, and that's a degree nobody wants to go on anymore. <laughs> Hardly anybody wants to teach because, you know, it's just not a lucrative profession. But Shane wants to teach and coach at the high school level. So, um, you know, he's kind of old school, to say the least. But, yeah, he's, he's a guy that everybody looks looks up to, and um, everybody would love for him to have a great senior season. In that range there, you go 74, 84, 65. You've had Dean and Luke Drugak as part of the program, fitting in, uh, stepping up, earning starting bids, or, or stepping in when they need to. And then you got a kid like Alex Kramer comes in, beats Luke in the wrestle-off at 74. Have you had any any thoughts on what, what you're doing at 74 with the lineup spot, or is that something that the Citadel tournament is going to piece together for you? Competition is going to determine where we go with Druggy. I mean, with um, with, with Kramer, on a red shirt or not. But um, I've told all the freshmen to get ready to wrestle. So they know, they know their number could be called at any point in time. Kramer had been struggling a little bit in the room. Then he gets in the wrestle off, and he's a different kid. So he's, I guess, he's one of those guys that wrestles better in competition. He does in the room because we didn't know what to think. And a couple of times, you know, he's, you know, typical freshman struggling in some situations. But a uh, kid knows how to win, and that that counts for a lot. And he's learning his he's learning his top and bottom game, which is important because I guess you know. A lot of the guys at State Illinois are so good in freestyle and Greco that sometimes they're in a takedown, let them up game. So we've been explaining to him that you cannot do that. You have to ride people and you have to get off the bottom. But I, I think that he could be somebody that you could possibly be seeing in the starting lineup. So but we'll see how he does in competition. Has your opinion on redshirting freshmen you know, evolved over the years? I mean, you know, what was your opinion maybe coming into your first year of coaching? Whereas uh, now sometimes, you're like, hey, you're a true freshman, you're ready to go. I mean, what's or is that just uh, dependent upon the athlete? No, I think it's changed. I mean, in the old days, you would never, ever wrestle somebody the first year. That was a no-no. And then you had all these clubs form about eight, nine, ten years ago. And then all these college kids went and started their own clubs. And now everybody's got a club and everybody's wrestling year-round at a higher level at a higher level than what they were 10 years ago. The technique's better. The scrambling's better. Kids are better wrestlers, bottom line. That has enabled freshmen to be ready to go. So, yes, I think my opinion on freshman wrestling has changed. And I know that pretty much all my colleagues I talked to in D1, their opinions of freshmen have changed. Uh, you know, going out the gate wrestling right off the bat. Of course, in any situation, it's chilly in a situation where – the freshman's better than the guy that you got, to be you know quite honest with you. And in those cases, that's when it becomes a situation where a lot of times the freshmen go. A lot of times, some of these kids, they you can't hold them back. They got to wrestle. They don't want a red shirt right off the bat. Then you come back and you revisit it later on in their careers. That's my take on freshman wrestling. So 184, Noah Bushman has moved down. Antonio Agee has come back to the lineup after a couple of injuries last season. Uh, you know, he was in line to get a bid for the national tournament. Again, just just battered and bruised. And uh, what's 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 AG looking like right now? Is he a hundred percent? He gonna be ready to go for for another campaign at it? Yeah, he's healthy. I mean, he just had a tight wrestle off. You know, with with his workout partner Bushman. You know, Bushman looks one hundred percent better down at one eighty four. 
than at 97. I think he's at his true weight right now. He's got to learn how to manage his weight a little bit better. Um, so it's a little bit easier for him to make it. But, um, I mean, you have, you have depth there where you have two pretty good guys, you know, and, um, you know, we're looking for a big year from AG. We think that he can, we can, he can, he can jump up and beat a lot of these guys in the top 20. Mentioned Tim Young briefly in the open, but uh, he won the inner squad against River Henry, who's coming down from 285 to 197 to provide some depth there. And where did you see the the light switch flip on last year with Tim Young? Because at some point he went from, you know, losing every match, then he gets the win over Northwestern, then he starts picking up some wins, has some tight wins at the Virginia Duels, and then all of a sudden knocks off the top seed at the tournament, is a point away from making the national championships. It's like this was a different guy first semester to second semester. It's a typical high school transition or JUCO transition. It takes them a while. You know, if you're your high school kid or JUCO kid, it's going to take you a while to transition. And, uh, I mean, Young, November last year, all he was concerned about was winning and losing, which led to fear fear of failure, which led to him not opening him up, and which led to a lot of losses. Once he figured out, um, I guess it's when we wrestled Northwestern, and he had all his family in front of him, like 30 people. And he wrestled very well against Chaconis, who was a pretty good kid coming out of high school. He wrestled very well against him. That's when everything flipped. To answer your question. He wrestled against Northwestern. And then the second half of the year, he just got confidence. You know, he beat the kid from Drexel, who I think at the time was in the top 15. He beat the Missouri kid, the Virginia Duels. He beat the kid from Chattanooga. He beat three national qualifiers last year. But since he had so many losses, his first his first eight matches last year, he lost, I think, six of the eight. He got pinned. So, I mean, he just had a horrible November. But uh, then he just totally flipped it around, which, you know, is a credit to him because he kept working and kept believing. And eventually uh, he stopped worrying about winning and losing and just going out there and having fun and competing and things came together. Plus, he was prepared. He was much he got much more. He figured out what his system was on top, bottom and his feet, which allowed him to be able to wrestle. Moving to heavyweight, some depth here too. Will Hilliard. You've also got Jacob Bullock, a freshman, coming in, and of course uh, Ali Wahab, who's uh, again um, likes to chew gum while wrestling with the, with the giant arms. But uh, good depth at heavyweight, and uh, always a room battle there. Yep, you got Wahab to back up Hilliard, then you got Bullock to keep them both in their toes. And uh, you know Bullock's learning how to wrestle on the mat right now. Once he gets that portion down and on his feet, but on the mat again, you know on top and bottom is where he's trying to build his game up because he is a great athlete. He's got a pretty good da- gas tank and um, he's pretty ornery when he gets out there and, and, and just very, very strong. So um, we're interested to see how he does this weekend. Of course, Hilliard, he qualified a spot last year for the weight class. And, um, you know, he was really banged up at the, at the conference tournament. I mean, he was hurt pretty bad, blown out knee, you know, it was good enough to wrestle, but it just wasn't good enough to give at that high level. You know, wasn't good enough to be able to win matches with. So um, we're looking for good things from him. That's the lineup. We've got the Citadel this weekend. And granted, we did talk about the schedule with Daryl Thomas last episode. But overall thoughts, uh, head coaching thoughts now that the MAC is now 15 teams. It's absorbed the EWL. It's created a different schedule dynamic. A couple, a couple teams from the old CAA are back on the schedule with George Mason and Ryder, you get you in that fertile recruiting ground of, of Pennsylvania more often than it did uh, with the old format. But again, the, the footprint goes from Missouri to New York to New Jersey. So uh, your thoughts on on the MAC expansion and being the, the second largest conference in Division One? 
Well, I think it's great. You know, you got 15 teams. You have a wide variety. I think the conference tournament is going to be crazy. I think we're going to get more bids. I think it's already helped out with recruiting. It's, uh, we're, we're real excited to be able to go into the new conference and be able to wrestle some different faces. Now, in terms of the scheduling, you know, the Central Michigans, the, the Kent States aren't on the schedule as much anymore. How does this work out in terms of scheduling? Is it going to be more of a divisional lineup with crossovers, or, or is that still in the works with the conference? Our crossovers, crossovers right now are Missouri and SIUE. And we'll probably keep those for a while because, you know, Missouri's right next to Illinois and we have a bunch of Illinois kids on our team and SIUE is obviously in Illinois. So we they, we rotate them and like we, we're wrestling at SIUE this year in Missouri next year. So we always want to be able to get close to the state of Illinois so that some of those parents can come watch their kids. That's how the two crossovers work. And then we wrestle everybody else in the Mac East, which for people that don't know is Edinburgh, Lockhaven, Clary and Bloom, George Mason and Ryder. And those are six dual meets that we are on the Mac East side. We wrestle at every year. And then you have a Mac East champ and you'll have a Mac West champ. And that's kind of where they're stopping it this year. There are discussions on having a dual meet conference tournament, but we'll see how that goes. Also, one thing, the MAC rankings came out, preseason coaches' rankings, and uh, Old Dominion number two behind Missouri, Lockhaven third. Of course, those are the based on the tournament rankings. And, you know, all three programs, I mean, and the thing is, you go down to you go down the eighth and ninth team, they're, they're formidable programs, so it's not like, all right, we're eighth in the conference. That's that's uh, that's not chopped liver. Yeah, I think the conference term is going to look a lot like the EIWA, and you're just going to have more bids coming out of it. Because some of these programs, you know, they're getting better right now, and they're going to create more bids. The EWL is going to bring in more bids than what they got last year. Once again, that'll be our preseason wrap again. The Monarchs, the entirety of the program in action at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina this weekend. So if you're in the area, drive on down. they got good seafood down there. And uh, pretty good wrestling, too, as, as uh, the Citadel is starting another preseason event, or not a preseason, an early season event. So check it out. All the results will be at odusports.com. We'll be back with the next episode with a recap of the event and maybe a monarch or two. So, uh, Coach Martin, any, any final words as we begin your 16th se- 16 seasons? That means, that means I'm old, but that also means like you're not young anymore. I don't have enough time to think about that. <laughs> if I did, I'd be bored. I wish I was bored enough where I had time to sit back and think about those silly little things. But uh, <laughs> that means you've been doing this a long time, Twink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I got you. Just so people know, they don't, they don't know, 16 years ago, I was teaching Steve how to use Lotus email notes, whatever the ODU system was back then. And that was, that was painful. That was painful. Actually, I know how to do it on my, all on my own now. See, kids, they can grow up. This show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com. What are you chewing on? <laughs> oh, I'll get rid of that. <laughs> I didn't know you could hear that. Oh, yeah. Dude, Thank uh, you for correcting my social media uh, my media um, awkwardness, chewing gum. I, I need a lot more time with you than, than, than five minutes over the phone to correct your, your media awkwardness, Coach. <laughs> I won't argue. I won't argue. I might keep that, I might keep that as an outtake.